Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that couple shouting, it's Dinger and Jay. It's Dinger and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition to Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you on a very eventful Tuesday. Jay, you, you just restored power because in true <laughs> Hamilton form, yes. there's some there's some work being done. There is. They're they're changing out the uh, telephone pole that holds up the transformer right near my house. So right before we went live, I lost power and therefore Wi-Fi. So uh, yes, very, very all's good now. I don't know if it's gonna stay on, but all, it, an eventful Tuesday and a special Tuesday. I have props that? today. You have props? It's oh. somebody's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to Paul. <laughs> that is a birthday card. You're holding up a birthday card that clearly was given to somebody else in your house. If you open no. it up, does it say is that like to Veda or somebody? No, it's uh not it's not used yet. We uh, uh this was I I had some friends that had a 40th birthday party and a 50th birthday mm-hmm. party Saturday and my my wife bought a bunch of cards that were options and that card didn't make the cut. So you get it. <laughs> Some extra, <laughs> you know what? It's those things that really make you feel loved. It is, it is that leftover card. Hey, thank you. Happy happy birthday is a nice thing to hear. I appreciate it. Uh, it yeah, it's a, it's a fun day. It's an exciting day. But more than that, I, I have never been more excited uh, for our Arby's segment uh, <laughs> that we're going to have at the end of this show because uh, we have I, I have a whopper of a story. Uh, from New Orleans that I am very excited to tell. Um, that's something that I think fans, <laughs> I don't know if they'll appreciate. All, all I know is uh, I've told a couple versions of it thus far. The first was the first time I told it was to <laughs> my wife and uh, her friends at dinner after the game. And it went about 25 minutes. Uh, and I, I, it was, I, it felt like one of the funniest stories I've ever had the, the ability to tell. Just, I'm just, it was so fresh in my mind. Now this is not fresh. I need to condense it. So I've got a condensed version for everybody. Uh, but a funny story and a great, great reader Arby's. Uh, has been submitted, and I'm very excited to read to everybody because it's also hysterical, which is something that we want to make sure we're telling you. If you have a great Bengals-related story or anything that you want to send, send it to me via email, and I will read the email uh, if you if it's if it's worth if we deem it uh, worthy of making the cut. This one absolutely unequivocally worthy of making the cut. Uh, so I'm very excited to bring you that. So if you ever have one, send it to me, pdanerattheathletic.com, and uh, maybe your story can make it. Uh, so we've got that. We're going to talk uh, run defense. Jay has a story up right now, taking a really deep look at the Bengals' run defense at a critical juncture for that unit. 
which is banged up and now facing its two stiffest tests of the season uh, after their struggles in New Orleans. We're going to talk a little bit more about the shotgun under center thing. Uh, Mo Egger will join us, of course, and we will uh, do everything we normally do there. We're going to get a little bit into the magic of Joe Burrow in that spot. Have our best bets with him. Uh, yes, Arby's, we will have run passer boots. Thanks, everybody that's watching on the stream right now. Good to have you with us. Um, you've already gotten to CJ's props, uh, but we... <laughs> Uh, we'll take your questions. So if you have some questions that you want to ask, drop them into the comments section right now, and we'll maybe get back and cycle back to a few of those for the Q&A at the end of the episode. Um, we've got our growler bet to get to. Jay, I have a totally random stat that I want to get to, and I don't know where it goes in this show. Uh, it's not even really Bengals related. It's just <laughs> fun. So I have it in here. Hopefully we'll find a place that I can find a spot to get in there and take care of it. But I, yeah, I, I can't I wait to hear enjoy it. it. Yes, it's it's fun. It's fun. Uh, let's start with news. Okay, uh, we've got injury stuff is kind of uh, the news of the day, which will feed directly into talking about the run defense because uh, Logan Wilson, um, he's got the shoulder that he I, that he hurt and. W- Hopefully, week to week was the uh, phrasing used by Zach Taylor yesterday. But I, you know, I think that tells you, you know, he's pro- an IR candidate. Um, so th- they're going to find out more information over the next couple of days to know for sure what moves they want to end up doing with Logan. But when you hear "hopefully" week to week, you hear "week yeah. to week" already, and you know it's going to be a while. Uh, you hear "hopefully" week to week. Um, uh, keeping a very close eye on that news over the next couple of days. Yeah. And, and apologies to everyone. I, I, I heard Zach wrong. I thought he said, hopefully day to day. I tweeted that out incorrectly. I corrected it. Uh, have it in the story too, that it is going to be hopefully week to week. Um, if, if people remember, he hurt his shoulder in the chargers game last year, missed three weeks, uh, came back and, played through it. He probably should have had surgery at that point, but they felt he could play through it. He felt he could play through it, played all the way up until the Super Bowl, as everyone knows, because of that, uh, the pass interference call on the final drive, uh, then had surgery at the end of February. So um, concerning that it's that that same shoulder coming off of that. You don't know if it's the same injury, but uh, same area. Yeah, we don't know that. And so, but obviously, if you hear that a surgery is opted for, that would wipe him out for the year. Um, that's a long recovery time. It took him all the way until camp to come back. Um, so saw, we saw Logan in the locker room yesterday. He didn't want to talk about it, went to the locker room or the training room, excuse me. And so, um, we'll, we'll, again, we'll be keeping a close eye on that, but a big deal. Logan's been playing his tail off, uh, and been great this year and such a huge part of their versatility offensively and everything they're doing right up the middle. He's the backer that's out there every single down. Um, so, you know, it, You'll see Jermaine Pratt obviously continue an increased role for Akeem Davis Gaither. Um, you know, it was that that Joe Bocci is still sitting here on the, the, he can he can be activated at any point. Probably could come back into the rotation. They have Clay Johnston, and Marcus Bailey, um, also in there. They they did they did a really nice job last year filling in at linebacker when a lot of injuries happened mm-hmm. there last year. But Logan is is such a different player. I mean, he just can do some things that nobody else in that room can. But they have done a nice job of filling in in his absence in the past. 
Yeah, they, I mean, I thought Bocce was playing really well last year before he, because he was the one that was getting a lot of the snaps um, when, when Wilson went down because uh, Davis Gaither was out for the year with an injury around midseason. So him, uh, Marcus Bailey has always been this enticing prospect. He's just never uh, gotten on the field and, and gotten a long chance to play. So it'd be interesting to see if, if he gets some run. And then uh, Clay Johnston, obviously the depth piece that, that had one of the biggest plays in the postseason when he when he dropped Derrick Henry on the two-point conversion. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be Akeem Davis-Gaither that gets the bulk of the snaps for as, as long as Wilson's out. Uh, elsewhere, Josh Tupo also in the week-to-week mode. So they're going to have to go off without him. You're going to see uh, Jay Tufele, um is going to be, you know, basically taking over uh, a lot of those. So mm-hmm. they're down to their third nose tackle now because DJ Reader also out. Jay, you pointed out um, and, and asked Zach Taylor yesterday about, look, Reader is working his way back. He's on the rehab field last week. He was actually at the game on the sideline. And, you know, that it doesn't mean he's going to be back soon. And, you know, Zach sort of said, look, it's, yeah, I mean, it's still, it's a matter of time improving, but uh, you're still going to have a little bit of a ways to go uh, with, with reader. So we, when that is, you know, sometime next month, I would think, you know, just depending on, on how quickly he's able to come back, obviously they, they need him back. Yeah. Officially eligible for the, the Monday night game against Cleveland next week, but that might be a bit of a stretch to yeah. to have him work his way back in that first week after coming off of IR, um, assuming he's even ready to come off of IR. But it is positive to see the steps he's taken, showing up on the rehab field, being on the sideline. The reason that's such a big deal is, you know, the Miami game, he was in a booth. He didn't even travel um, to the Baltimore game. It, they just don't want guys that don't have great mobility on the sideline because you never know. There could be a play that runs over there, and you don't want a, a further – have a further injury occur, but uh, seeing him on the sideline was a positive that he, he, he does have better mobility and it, the, the players talked about how much of a lift that he gave them both X and O wise and just, just being there and, and supporting them um, and, and kind of firing them up for that, that big stop at the end of the game. Uh, Jeff Gunter had the dislocated knee in pregame. Uh, yeah. And so not not great week to week more on him. So guys that are going to be lost for, for chunks here, you know, get to the bye week is what on a lot of these guys it feels like, right? Three weeks, mm-hmm. bye, and then see where you stand after that on a lot of these these pieces. And, and again, they hope that to be the case maybe with, with Logan Wilson. Um, all right. Uh, T.O.T. Higgins uh, came out of the game pretty well. Uh, with yeah. with the ankle, so uh, was able to play through it, and now it's just a matter of kind of keeping him light on his feet during the week uh, a little bit, and and keep getting that better and better. But the fact that came through it okay, good news. Let's go topic one here, and that's this, and that's the Bengals run defense. Um, it did not go well uh, against New Orleans in that first half, 164 yards. We talked <laughs> about it in the walkout before halftime, um, and. You know, Baltimore had some success running the ball um, against them the previous week, and, and without DJ Reader, you know, you those you have these splits <laughs> that are just yeah. so apparent. When you don't have DJ Reader, they're just a very different run defense. And now here comes one of the most critical junctures of the season for that group. Atlanta and Cleveland do not hide the way they win, the way they plan on winning. It is by running the ball, being effective running the ball, and just breaking teams down on the ground. Well, 
here you go. Two weeks back-to-back, a lot of pressure on a really beat-up run defense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually, they're in the middle of an incredible four-game stretch. Right. Uh, because it's Atlanta, number one, rushing DVOA. New Orleans, who they played last week, number two. Baltimore, number three. Cleveland, number four. This is this is unreal. And Dallas, number six, who they had in week two. So, yeah, it's it it is is going to be a huge test. The the thing is, it's what's going to be interesting is um, Atlanta is they they are great run offense and run defense and they are terrible pass defense, pass offense. So you could see. Uh, this being a game where even if the Bengals struggle to stop that Atlanta running game, maybe the 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 offense and it, what it's found now um, can, can pick them up a little bit and make this a a game where they they just outscore them. But it is a concern, and this is uh, Atlanta is missing Cordero Patterson, their their best running back um, on IR, so he's not going to be able to play this week. But they have not missed a beat with him out the last two weeks. Um, they they are just finding ways to just slam the ball in there. Marcus Mariota on the RPOs, pulling it and taking off and running. He had two running touchdowns last week, only threw it 14 times. Um, it, it's going to be a, a big test. And the the issue that that Lou Anarumo talked about with us yesterday, the missed tackles were, were such a big part of that. It's not, it's some, not something that's been a problem for this team. They're still in pretty good shape with the overall numbers there, but, but they're going to have to get these – whoever's running the ball for the Falcons on the ground, they they can't be missing eight tackles for 80 yards like they did against the Saints. Yeah, that was the uncharacteristic nature of of the Saints game. Let's bring in Lou Anarumo uh, with us uh, yesterday, talking a little bit about the state of the run defense. Your front seven, however, seemed like yesterday, first, second half, run defense just looked a lot different. What was the difference for you? Really just three plays in in succession, uh, three plays accounted for 100 yards. So you had a 44-yard jet sweep. We're in man-to-man, and we missed about four tackles. Um, then we had a 31-yard run where we misfit on the wildcat thing, and then a 24-yard run where Kamara got the B-gap. I mean, uh, was in great shape and kind of got torqued out of there. So, um, again, you account half their run game on uh, three plays. So, can't let that happen. Did you just tell them to kind of, there's just an emphasis at halftime to be more gap sound on the jet? No, we were gap sound. Yeah. We just got to make tackles. We missed eight tackles. We've been missing four or five all year. So we missed eight for 80 something yards. So we were like four, we were averaging four for 30. And we doubled that. So we can't, can't do that against good players. You, so. Every Monday you sit in here and talk about, I, you don't you don't want to talk about yards. It's just points. But yeah. but 228, even if three of them, yeah. three, I mean, does that get under your much. skin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I looked up at halftime. I think they had 160 or something. I was yeah. You know, we finished, what, fourth or fifth in the league last year and run defense, and we started off on a good trend this year. And, you know, yeah, you don't, that's that's unacceptable. The guys know that. You know, they know that. But, again, you know, you lose pieces and, and you know, you don't fit it exactly right, it's not going to look the same. So um, we got to make sure we get back to who we are. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. That's about DJ Reader was where that question went next. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he says, look, 
so much of it. I mean, that it's it's unbelievable, and and you hear that from everybody. I think it feels like Zach Taylor was asked talked about when you talked to him about Reader earlier. Said you know I don't remember the exact quote, but it was just you know he's just an impossible guy. He's irreplaceable. Yeah, um, what what he's doing? Yeah, the the you know the one of the premier defensive tackles in this league. They sounded like two guys who just watched a bunch of tape bemoaning that DJ Reader wasn't there. You know, like it was like when you listen to both of them talk about missing DJ Reader, it's like they've been sitting around all day, like, God, do we miss DJ Reader? Yes. Because I mean, it was the the Saints hit them on the edge a little bit, the jet sweep, and then the the Tyson Hill run around the end that he talked about, the 31 yarder. Those are not plays that DJ Reader is gonna make. But DJ Reader swallowing up two, maybe three blockers, that that changes. That frees other guys up to make those plays. That's where he's so valuable, not just in what he can do, but the attention he he garners. And, um, and I thought Josh Tupa was playing really well in, in his stead. So it's now you're down to the third string and Jay Tefele. And, you know, he had a he had a, a big play in in that game. It was his Bengals debut. They they claimed him off waivers on Labor Day weekend, and that was the first time he got in and played. Um, nobody's gonna look like DJ Reader, but um they they do. They've 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 gotta figure out a way. It's it's not just next man up when you're talking about a guy as good as DJ Reader, but they they just they can't let it be 228. You, they've got to keep it more manageable in the 120, 130 range at best. They do. And and that, I mean, like you mentioned, you're down to two guys that were cut by mm-hmm. teams. I mean, Jay Tufele, Tyler Shelvin, right? I mean, these are the guys at that nose tackle position, so you see a little bit more emphasis come to Zach Carter and B.J. Hill, who B.J. Hill is hardly coming off the field, and B.J. Hill had a great game, but, you know, just that powerful run stopping nose tackle now is gone and in, in, in you're deep into you're deep into the roster and it does it just it just changes things um jay you you have stats on missed tackles or did you already drop those stats in no i do i uh, so they're still this year with the with the eight um on sunday and it's diff it's so subjective i i Pro football reference or pro football focus had him with 10. Um, Sport radar only had him with seven. So these, these what I'm going to quote here is Sport radar stats. Uh, they've got him with 27 for the year, which is 17th in the league. The missed tackle percentage is 7.1, and that's notable. I'll get to that later. But you, you look, it, this team has been remarkably consistent when you look at where they've finished the year in missed tackles. Last year, 108, 14th in the league. The year before, 109, 15th in the league. Zach and Lou's first year, 113, 17th in the league. Marvin's final year, 113, 17th in the league. The same exact number. Um, the we're, A lot of times when you're talking about individual defensive guys, it's not the number of missed tackles because it's it's a volume stat. It's, it's the percentage of missed tackles. The, the Bengals right now, their missed tackle percentage is 7.1%. If that holds, that would be the lowest in team history since they started tracking missed tackles and missed tackle percentage in 2007. So about a 15-year span. But this this defense has, even with that bad performance, uh, knocking that number up on Sunday, this defense has been pretty solid at getting guys on the ground. 
Yeah, it, it does. It feels rare when you see one of those mm. uh, break out. All right, let's. Uh, we're going to shift gears here. Our good friend Mo Egger is here with us. What's up? How we doing? What's going on? I'm doing hey, good. Mo. Are, are you? Hey. How's your energy's high? I like it. it. Is. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm raring to go. That's good. It's good to have yeah. you. Uh, the, uh, the the show morale was up yesterday, right? Feeling. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a little, there's little a sense lift. Of optimism. There's a little bit of a little bit of a just a jolt of uh, of energy and optimism that I think is permeated through the fan base, and and it was contagious on our show yesterday. I said this after the game. Um, it was. I feel like there's some games, even if the Bengals lose a game, like there's just some games, some moments, some experiences that you can just appreciate. That was fun. Right, like like New Orleans and everything it was, and that atmosphere, the intensity of that game, a lot on the line for the Bengals. Burrow and Chase doing Burrow and Chase things to to win a huge game. Like in general, like that's just a that's fun football. Everything about that is why you're a fan for games like that. Even 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 in losses, like just games like that are fun. I don't know with four minutes to go that I would have said it was fun, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, it would it would have been cool as hell if Joe and Jamar had the connection they had and they win the game 38 to seven. And and I, I would really like the Bengals to start winning games 38 to seven. That would be great. And they do it in new Orleans and that would be awesome. But I mean, it felt like the season was kind of teetering on the brink there a little bit. And, and I, yeah. you know, you could say, well, well, you know, Baltimore lost and Cleveland stinks and Pittsburgh, we're not taking them seriously. And so boy, it wouldn't have been the end of end of the world had they lost the game. But I mean, you know, they, they get the football back after the shank punt and it's like, all right, um, they got to take advantage because two and four is going to be tough, right? The math at two and four to get to 10 wins starts to become a little bit dicey. And so for those two guys to deliver the moment, the sort of moment, the sort of play we've been waiting for, for it to be the the cherry on the Sunday for the afternoon those two guys had together, for it to occur in the Superdome amid that atmosphere, and for the game to basically be won, and I hate to say this, but for a lot of fans, for the season to be saved by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase was perfect. It was awesome, and obviously there's a lot that went into that win, uh, the defense had to get a stop, two stops at the end of the game, and uh, their ills are far from, uh, you know, erased. But in a singular moment, yeah, that was awesome for for Joe and Jamar to have the hookup they did with the game on the line in that building, even watching from here. That was really, really cool. It might be a fatalistic view for a lot of Bengals fans. Curious what, what you thought, or if you even thought of this in the moment, what, because as special as that was, that 60-yard touchdown, and it was Joe and Jamar in the Dome, and did it go to your mind they left too much time based on what we've seen from this defense at the end of games? The three losses? Well, so that came up, <laughs> <laughs> and my buddy I was watching the game with said something to that effect. And I said, do you know who's playing quarterback for them? And that's so mean. <laughs> that is so mean of me. That is so wrong. Uh, no, it did. I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's a little bit different than Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, nothing against Andy. Everybody likes Andy. I feel like I feel like now when we talk about Andy Dalton, you, you can't be too nice and you can't be too mean. So you have to kind of walk the tightrope. Um, I, I did feel like maybe not they left. I hate the they left too much time because that would suggest that Jamar should have gone down at the one yard line. Right. Um, so we can see more shovel passes. 
no, 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 we, we don't want to do that. But yeah, sure. It, it, it crossed my mind. Um, Logan Wilson wasn't in the game. They had been gashed on the ground. There was still some time for new Orleans to do some things offensively. Um, just the way the season has gone when they've as good as, as well as this defense has played in moments like last week against Baltimore. All right, here you go. Win the game, get off the field, force a stop, get a turnover. Let's get a, a walk-off defensive stop. It, it hasn't happened this year. Yeah, it, it did cross my mind. Um, but, but it, it, it crossed my mind a little bit less than it would have if a different quarterback was playing again. I'm sorry. I know Andy's a really nice guy. I know. Great dude. Terrific guy. Very good career here, but he just doesn't scare me. And especially when he's without his top receivers. Yeah. Um, so I, was I, was there anxiety? I'd be lying if I said the answer was no, but uh, there's a difference between trying to get a stop against Lamar Jackson and trying to get a stop against Andy Dalton. No, that's a great point. And, and I, I couldn't help as it was happening, not think about, well, here's the difference between a team that has Joe Burrow and a team that has Andy Dalton as a direct comparison. And there's not, you're right. I mean, with Andy, he's playing with dudes. Well, I don't even, I don't even know the names of half of those guys that he was forced <laughs> to play with. And, and I thought he played a pretty nice game. Like yes. the mm -hmm. third and long conversions, he was making plays. They weren't asking him to do much, but when they did, he was making plays. He knew target Eli Apple, that works. And so he kept doing it. And, and I thought he played well, but then here's the thing. It's what so much of the entire Dalton era was full of, right? Is when the moment got big, mm -hmm. when the, when the, when, when the situation got intense, the difference between Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow is one finds a way and the one just so rarely found a way. And the Bengals have been living this way this mm -hmm. year. It is Joe Burrow saving everyone's ass on third down. Uh, here's, let me just run a little bit and a few numbers past you. We were, we've got – he's thrown eight third down touchdowns this year, which leads the league. Lamar has, or he has eight. He's thrown seven and he's run one, the one that they ran against New Orleans. Uh, yeah. Lamar has seven. Josh Allen has six. Everybody else is down in the four area. I mean, he has six third down scrambles, four of them for first downs. His, he's first in passer in completion rating. I mean, he's first in EPA. He's him and Mahomes and Allen are at the top three above everyone else in EPA per play on third downs. They've had more third downs than anyone because of the nature of their offense. And you had a tweet, Mo, because we have to talk about your tweets that I liked. Oh. I don't mm. want to know what that game would have turned out had Joe not pulled one out of his hat on that third down. Unbelievable individual effort. And it's so true. That's the difference. The difference in this league between wins and losses and good and great and, you know, the who these teams who are – the fifth best team and the 25th best team is one guy who can pull a play out of his hat on third down. And that in so many ways is the difference between tier one quarterbacks and tier three quarterbacks and your Andy Dalton's and your Joe Burrows. And it was so evident in those big moments, they just were able to pull a few more out because Burrow had some magic to him. Yeah. And the thing about that tweet was I, I sent it and then I said, you know, I could have specified which third down I was talking about because there were yeah. a couple of different plays he made on third down that were just magical. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you could ask about the anxiety I felt thinking, okay, the Saints have too much time versus the anxiety even before the <laughs> shank punt. If you're a Saints fan, you're up to, you're about to punt the football away to Joe Burrow. 
there's not a fan base maybe in the league who knows more about what Joe Burrow is capable of. So, uh, again, was I anxious? Sure. Was I as anxious as a Saints fan was? And, and again, the Bengals needed a field goal, so you're like, all right, well, Joe Burrow can drive him into field goal range, and McPherson can make a long kick, and then we're going to be trailing again. But, yeah, I mean, I, I thought on, on Sunday night about Joe on third down how we we obsessed so much in 2020, and we had so much time to fill talking about the draft. And it started with, obviously, the whole, well, is Joe going to want to actually play for the Bengals? Is he going to pull an Eli? And that was absurd. And then when we got done with that, it was, well, let's pick apart the tape. Does he have the requisite arm strength? Let's nitpick it. And I go, <clears throat> and all that stuff is fair game. All that, the measurables matter. Then the, the hand size thing. Okay, cool. Um, but you really sometimes can't quantify magic. And that flies in the face of a lot of analytical thought. And I get it. But third and 19 or uh, uh, whatever it was, th- third down, and he's dead to rights, and he runs for a 19-yard touchdown. Um, they don't do that drill at the combine. And <laughs> I think it was third and four where he makes the play yep. and extends it. He it looks like he's going to be sacked two different times deep in his own end. And he completes a pass, I think, to Tyler Boyd. And they gain 10 yards. And it extends a drive that they ultimately – kick a field goal on that they badly needed. Uh, who knows what happens if he gets sacked and they have to punt the football away. Um, I, I can't, I can't read about his probability of making those sort of plays on a spreadsheet or in a scouting report. And, and that to me, that's why you drafted Joe Burrow, right? It's there, there is a piece and I do not know the author. Dan Horde has referenced this on a couple of different occasions where, it's it's one of these like QB gurus, draft dorks, where they talk about his arm strength and all the measurables. And then he's like, but you know what? This dude from LSU has something that you can't quantify. Can't quantify magic. And again, it sounds hokey. But then you watch that game on Sunday. He, he pulled a couple of plays out of his hat that may have saved the season. That's why you took him number one overall. That's why you're going to pay him a half billion dollars. And that's why I feel good about this team moving forward. Uh, despite the injuries to the defense, despite the, what they weren't able to do against the run, um, if if these games are going to be close, and most of them will be, and I get that sort of QB play, take my chances. So yeah, I that was that was exhilarating on Sunday. I mean, you talk about what you can't quantify—just poise and intelligence—and those third down plays that you mentioned were incredible. But I, the one that you know I think gets lost is on that drive after the third and four incredible scramble he gets sacked two times in a row it's third and 27 a lot yeah. of guys would panic there and try to get it instead he he makes the smart pass to Jamar Chase for a 7 yard gain and yeah we've seen Evan McPherson make 59 yard field goals before but 52 is a whole lot different than 59 that was they had to get points on that drive and that just it just you know for a young guy for a young quarterback he's not young but third year i just thought that was a really smart play with a lot of poise to just make it a more manageable field goal and, and kind of extend the game. Yeah. I mean, it's again, the Dalton comparison and I know it's low hanging fruit. And again, Andy Dalton, terrific guy. Have I mentioned that? Yeah. Wonderful yeah. human yeah. being. Yes, he is. But 
on the radio at times when Andy was the quarterback, we would do this thing where it was, oh boy, because it always felt like the, <laughs> when there were these moments where it just sort of felt like that was what Andy would, oh boy, oh, it, I mean, just, it was chaos and, and Andy came through in some big moments, but it, it just, it felt like think that the snowball's coming down the hill and now they can't stop it because the quarterback might lack the poise that we're looking for. And I, I know, I know like people in my life who are going to hear this and watch this and then scream at me like, Oh, what about that game when Andy did this? But with Joe, with Joe, and again, it, it sounds so hokey, but I just feel like no moment's going to be too big. I feel like, mm. you know, it, like the Pittsburgh game, right? Uh, for, for, as for all the, the uh, anger that we all unleashed at losing to the Steelers and how they played, he was brutal that day. And yet, come winning time, with the aid of some Pittsburgh penalties, come winning time, Joe Burrow put all that aside and brought his team down the field twice, brought his team down the field and 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 delivered. And if they kicked the PAT, that would to me, that would have been the story. Boy, this guy overcame this awful day. It just, it, it, it just, there's a different quality to him. And it was evident on Sunday. And if this team ends up taking off, I think you could circle plays in that New Orleans game and go, this is when it changed. This is when it changed for this offense. And maybe this is when it changed for this football team. This league is defined by quarterback play in big moments. And that's big moments in seasons. That's big moments on third downs. That's mm-hmm. big moments in the playoffs. That it, that is That is how the league is defined by. And the fact that you have somebody who is as good as anyone and at his best in all of those moments and relishes those moments makes this team better, makes everyone believe they're going to win, and always gives you a chance. And we see that time and again. And this was a prime example of it. All right, let's just take a quick break. We should talk about gambling with fake money. Where are we at, Jay? Uh, where where are we at on our uh, season standings here? What did we do last week? Uh, rough week last week. Um, mm. I went 0-2. I had Mixon with over. 0.5 rushing TDs did not happen. You and I both tried uh, the dead we cat. Said we specified rushing TDs. Oh, <laughs> did we say, or did well, we say touchdowns? It was, it was. Do the, we have to go back and check the tape? I, no, I, I, I'm, what I looked up was rushing TDs. So, okay. All um, right. Well then, then you, so you I'll lose. take, I'll take the L on that. We both did not get our dead cat bounce. The Panthers did not no, cover. They're, they're very, um, dead. Paul did win his bet uh, with the Bengals minus 0.5, which I think that raised to 0.3 or minus three and a half by the time mm-hmm. kickoff came around. Mm-hmm. Um, Mo lost his Hayden Hurst anytime touchdown, but Mo with maybe the pick of the year. He not only said Washington, Chicago under 40, he said if that was 20, he would still go under and it <laughs> finished 12 to seven. So, uh, yes, kudos to Mo on that one. Um, so now we have the season totals. Uh, Paul's still in the lead at plus 80. Mo plus 59.4. And I am negative 9.4, which means well, that's bad. Uh, it's parlay time. Parlay time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like it. Parlay action on deck. Go ahead, Jay. Spill your parlay. Then. All right. I'll, I'll start. Um, so I'm going back to a Joe Mixon prop here. Uh his longest reception line this week is 12 and a half. He only has one catch longer than 12 and a half all year. And that was in week one. So I'm going under Joe Mixon's longest reception of 12.5 for 10. 
And then my parlay for 10, Tennessee minus two versus Indianapolis. The Giants somehow are getting two and a half points at Jacksonville. I'll take that all day. And then if they're going to make us watch Patriots Bears on Monday night, we might as well have something on it. So I'm going to go Patriots minus seven and a half is the third leg of that parlay. All right. Wow. What do you Here's got, my though? picture with Andy Dalton. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if I, here, side story, uh, yeah. I, I ran into JJ, to, to his wife Jordan, um, mm-hmm. on Saturday in New Orleans and was telling, make sure I told times, you know, I, you know what I hear most about how much people appreciate Andy since he's not been here anymore for what he did here as you know his what he did off the field and how much that really meant and how much that still lives on here i made sure that as many people tell me that 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 she knew that so so i'll, I'll also if i see her again at some point down the line maybe <laughs> give me that photo and i'll make sure right there she, there's yeah, me yeah, and there Andy is, yeah hanging at the radio station there you go okay sorry he, he, he looks as he looks as scared of me there as as he did uh in the final drive on sunday <laughs> So we're all like happy about the Bengals and they're doing great in the offense. Now, here we go. This is how this league works, right? We're all getting excited, mm-hmm. but they're laying nearly a touchdown at home against a team that has covered every game this season <clears throat> that could expose a problem. The Bengals defense is banged up. They're banged up on the interior. They did not do very well against the run. I uh, I don't like doing this. I think the Bengals are going to win the game. Um, six and a half points to an Atlanta team that can shorten the game, uh, that can run the ball pretty effectively. Marcus Mariota, I'm certainly no fan of his. In fact, I hope this is Marcus Mariota's last game as the quarterback of the Falcons because I want Des Ritter to play. <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> Mariota threw one incomplete pass among the 14 that he threw against San Francisco. I worry about blocking Grady Jarrett. I just think this is how this league works, right? You feel like, all right, here we go. This team's about to take off, and then something crazy happens, and then they end up playing in a close game. Uh, I think this game is going to be close, and as much as I hate to say it, I think the Bengals are going to win, but six and a half, I think, is a little bit too much for a team that's got some issues on defense. No DJ Reader, no Logan Wilson, issues stopping the run on Sunday. I think Atlanta can take advantage, shorten the game, and cover the six and a half points. I'm going to do something I typically don't do because I like both of these, and so I'm willing to do it. I'm going to go Kansas City and the Giants. I have no idea how New York is laying two and a half. I'm going to go Kansas City and the Giants. Uh, money line parlay, and uh, I'm sorry, not a money line parlay. I'm gonna just go Kansas City and the Giants to to both to cover both the slight favorites. Casey against San Francisco, Giants against Jacksonville. I'm gonna violate one of my core tenets. I'm gonna bet a parlay because I like both these teams so much. Giants are getting points. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I misspoke. My 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 bad. I I, I totally misspoke. I think uh, they cover against Jacksonville, and I think San Francisco covers uh, the three against uh against san francisco so this is interesting um the you mentioned it atlanta has covered the spread in every single game they are six and oh against the spread they are this year's team nobody thought was any good still doesn't think is any good uh and continues to prove everyone wrong every week uh so teams that have started six and oh versus the spread this century it's only happened eight times uh and that includes atlanta 
Um, teams that started seven and zero that continued. It was just it was a four four split. Teams that started six and zero against the spread were four and four against the spread the next <laughs> week of this century. That's but it, Dallas twenty twenty one, Kansas City twenty eighteen, New England's insane offense of two thousand seven, where they eventually had to like cover twenty five points some weeks. Uh, Tennessee in two thousand eight are the four teams that have ever started 7 and 0 against the spread. So, as much as it's bet with the trend, no Jay, it's the roulette wheel. It's every spin is its own individual 50-50 coin toss. So, that said, I I still do think that Atlanta is everything that Mo said and and much better. I'm going to stay away from picking uh, a cover or anything at this point. I'm just going to say I feel like a T Higgins game is coming. I just I feel like we haven't it's been a minute uh, he's been battling the injury. There's going to be a lot of Jamar Chase video shown in the Atlanta uh, film room this week. So I don't know what the number is. I'm taking T. Higgins over yardage uh, on Sunday against Atlanta. I don't even know what the number is. I don't care what the number is. Uh, if it's 100, I think he gets a 100-yard game. I think he has a big day against Atlanta. Also, Browns getting six at Baltimore. Look, again, like – Baltimore is fine, but they're a team that has been in so many close games. Teams come back on them. The Browns can run the ball. They've been competitive. I know what happened against New England. I know their defense is a mess, but I think that they're plenty good enough to hang around, and these teams can just run the ball at each other over and over and over again and keep it within six points. So I'm going to have the the Browns keeping that one close uh, and covering the six in Baltimore. Split those down the middle, 10 and 10. Sounds good. All right. There we go. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks to Mo for joining us. I will see you this afternoon, Mo, three to four at the Moorline Logger House, and it should be a fun hour. I'm trying to find my picture of me and A.J. McCarron's wife. (laughs) (laughs) While you do that, we'll leave. (laughs) Plenty plenty of people have Googled A.J. McCarron's wife. We don't need to add it to the internet, okay? We'll just just move on. Is that why A.J. McCarron blocked me? Uh, this whole situation is probably why AJ McCarron blocked you. <laughs> Goodbye. See ya. See ya. <laughs> All right. Great. Uh, great having Mo join us. We talked a little bit about some of those third down numbers there, um, and it, it's it is it is astounding how good Burrow has been on third down, and and you know I think them sort of discovering some stuff with the shotgun un, uh, stuff versus under center that we talked so much on the walkout can be a big part of this offense um, really finding itself by putting themselves in better third down situations, right? I mean, mm. it's so much of this has been about, okay, Burrow's saving you and playing so great on third down. Imagine if he was in even more advantageous situations and you weren't dead last in the NFL in first down DVOA. If you weren't constantly putting yourselves behind the chains, what can that look like? What can those lines and stat lines and game highlights look like if you do that better? Like Sunday. Yeah. Like Sunday. And I think that's kind of the whole point um, before we go on and take a break, I did want to bring you this because I, I asked Zach Taylor kind of specifically about um, the shotgun versus under center game. I wanted to make sure we got to this real quick uh, before we – just to talk a little bit about the evolution of the offense because it's it's an important uh, epilogue to this topic from Sunday that I think is going to be a big deal all year. Here's, here's Zach Taylor yesterday. What's the shift to the shotgun done for you guys offensively that you've leaned so heavily into that? 
I, I think this thing is ever evolving, and and we're willing to do whatever it takes to to be efficient on offense. And I think yesterday, that was where we turned uh, to increase our first down efficiency. Really, that was what it was. You know, if you look at our third downs, our I, you know, all but two are between third and two to four, and that's a great way to live. You know, your your percentages are skyrocket when you're not living in third and eight to twelve land, like we have in previous weeks on early downs. And and so, uh, again, we're we're um, we're willing to um, be creative and look at any ways in which our offense can continue to evolve. Next week we could be ninety percent under center. The next week we could be 98% in the gun. You know, it's just we've got those those areas of our offense we can we can utilize. And, um, you know, there's no egos, you know, whatever it takes to win, depending on the style of defense we're going to face, because that, that factors into things as well. But I think yesterday we found a pretty good rhythm um, that we believed in and, and allowed us to be really efficient and, and really helped us yesterday. Uh, so that's Zach Taylor kind of talking about this whole – everything moving to the gun, which they only had two plays under center in the game. It was the kneel at the end and the QB sneak. That's <laughs> yeah. it. And and again, because you're seeing Joe Mixon 5.6 yards per carry the last two weeks, each game 5.6 mm-hmm. with these like under center, straight downhill runs that he's finding success with, you know, that really feels like the direction this thing is is going and it sets up so many even the, to the no understanding when to do the quick chuck checkdowns mm-hmm. you know burrow throwing behind the line of scrimmage to the left and the right averaging six yards per attempt uh on sunday yeah that's perfect a six yard that's essentially a six yard run i mean it's a it's all it is extension of the run game if, you, if that's there they give you that and you get six and you're sitting in second and four Second and four is great for shot plays. Second and four is great for just go ahead and run it again and get it even tighter where you know you're going to be good. Second and four, you can hit the intermediate. You can do anything. The defense is so off balance. Those plays are so huge to making the line of the game for the quarterback and getting him in rhythm and setting up him more for success where he can do so many of the magical things that he does uh, in the game, all because – of the first down efficiency it all kind of works together i think that's what they've found with this yeah they can change it and do other things but i think i think it, it does seem to be something to keep that is going to be part of this offense's identity going forward yeah i, I mean i wonder how if there's going to be a game where we see him under center more than a handful of times the rest of the way and i'm trying to remember because I, I i did i was thinking well what if it's a game where they're they're killing the clock and they're just running out kind of like the jets and the the imposure will when they had that drive with p ryan i can't remember how much of that was in shotgun or not i mean is that is that a formation where you're just going to slam it in there do you want to do that out of the gun but i I agree there the the efficiency on first down is driving this and then what you mentioned earlier joe's performance on third down all those stats um the the one that I've got where he ranks on all those and it's, it's impressive. And then interceptions, he ranks first. He's yet to throw a third down interception. That's just, he's been at his best there and it's, it's all been coming out of the gun. It's, it's going to, you're going to see a lot more of it the rest of the year. And I've, I've got a, I've got a run passer boot related to that. All right, let's do it. Are you, are you ready? Always. All right. What will happen first? Joe Burrow will throw a TD pass from under center. Bengals will score a special teams touchdown. Or this defense, which has not given up a second-half touchdown all year, will give up a touchdown in the second half. Yeah, well, 
I think this is about the pass and the boot because I think yeah. the se- second half touchdown, I mean, it's gonna that's going to happen. I mean, the, the idea that this – it's remarkable that it's gone on this long and it's saving mm-hmm. them that it's gone on this long, how good they've been in the red zone, particularly in the second half. So I'm going to run – that's going to be the most likely. Uh, under center – touchdown pass or special team score it's crazy that i'm gonna say under center because i do think goal to go like the play to yep, hayden hurst exactly. you get a play action out of that that they could throw out of is, is the likely way so i'm gonna pass on that and I'll, I'll boot special teams i think they're just hoping that they don't give it to the other team anymore at this point yeah like trent taylor did this week and correct and he came back and had a good return after that um but you are starting to see Chris Evans is starting to get some returns, and um, he hasn't come close to breaking one. But I, I, I think the more reps he gets and the the better flow he gets in, he could take one back. And you just never know when there's going to be. They've already had a blocked field goal this year. You never know when they're going to block one. And and but those are that is so rare. I was just trying to pick three things that are that seem pretty rare. Um, but you're right. If if they if they can hold Atlanta out of the out of the end zone in the second half, that will be the longest streak um, since 2000. The, the, the stats, the, the parameters that we can go back to don't go beyond 2000. Maybe Stats Inc. can find that for us but uh, if we get there. But, yeah, the six only four other teams have done it um, six games in a row. The Bengals have a chance to be the first to do seven. And that's any six-game stretch, not the first six games any, of the season. Yes. Only I mean, one other team has done the first six of a season. Right. Starting the starting the season like that. Um an, an incredible run for them. All right. Very excited for this RBC. Wanna wanna say. So uh, a couple of things. One, we love the idea that something that has started now, I'm starting to see a few of you guys have sent in that saying you really like the RB segment, um, which is, uh, of course, any related Bengals, insights, extras, and stories. Um so you've been sending uh, a few suggestions or whatever. This is the first long story I've gotten, which is fitting because I figured from New Orleans weekend there's going to be some stories, <laughs> right? And there are two. One I will get to in a second. First, I want to read a listener story, uh, and this is directly from that. And I just, I just loved it. Our podcast loves it. It's on brand, so I'm, I'm very excited uh, about this. Okay, this email, um, it comes from hold on let me i had it here um let's see yeah of course people telling us about the arby's bourbon that is out i gotta make sure we (laughs) we reference that which is also on brand from it from carson wyatt carson wyatt sent this email in and it reads uh hope you're both doing well had a great weekend uh especially paul in new orleans anyways just wanted to reach out to give you all some arby's content that my dad and i witnessed this weekend my dad and i went to new orleans this weekend for the game we flew out of dayton on saturday night and went to atlanta where we had about a two-hour layover as we're waiting for our flight to board icky woods came and sat two seats down to my dad's left see we're off to a good start aren't we my dad acknowledged icky and icky was very kind however Icky was watching the Tennessee versus Alabama game and was very invested. He sat down right as the fourth quarter was starting. As the fourth quarter started and got underway, Icky was getting very animated watching the game. He was rooting hardcore for Tennessee. My dad asked him why. He said it was because he's sick of Alabama. As something would happen in the game, Icky would yell at his phone and attract the attention of the entire airport. It reminded me of that crazy uncle that everyone has that screams at his TV with no regard for anyone else. 
People were walking by and going up behind him to watch. At one point, there were about 10 people gathered around just watching the game on his phone with him. So Icky has become a show. <laughs> the best part of this, <clears throat> that absolutely nobody knew who Icky was at first. Everyone was just sitting around him having a good time watching the game. It wasn't until later that people started whispering and pointing out who he was. As the game ended, Icky started hooting and hollering. I think everyone in the Atlanta airport was looking at him. The entire place started applauding as the game ended, and he was shouting that Tennessee won. Finally. Icky went to board the plane, all decked out in his Bengals gear, head to toe. He's wearing a Bengals hat, shirt, pants, socks, and shoes. And a noxious Saints fan, not knowing who Icky was, started telling Icky that he would take him on the football field. Icky promptly told him who he was and that he needed to Google him. It was a hilarious interaction, and the entire airport was looking and laughing at it. Uh, and he attached a photo of the Ixter watching the game with some people behind him. There's a lot more people. This is in tight. What I love... Icky Woods wearing his own everyday <laughs> I'm shuffling t-shirt with the name Icky Woods uh, and a picture of himself and then people uh, you know, coming up to him afterwards. Love, love Icky. There's only one thing missing from this picture, Jay, and you know what it is. The bee in the bag. Bee in a bag. I have to I have a feeling that was in his suitcase <laughs> yeah. uh, at some point. But uh thank you, Carson, for that that incredible email. Loved it. Uh, we, if you have stories from any any Bengals interactions or thoughts or anything you have, send them to me. P. Daner at the Athletic. Love to read your stories if you have any of those. Okay, I have a story. Okay, so this is we were actually wanting to have people that also were part of this on. Uh, we just we we couldn't put it together. But the bottom line is this was so good. We felt like it almost needed everybody because everybody had a role in a moment. Here's the bottom line. The Superdome is old. The Superdome is a terrible place to try to cover a game for one, a number of reasons, but one basic fact. There is essentially no working elevator for the press to get all the way down from the top of the Superdome, which is like essentially on the moon, uh, <laughs> all the way down to the bottom field level for press conferences in the in the players locker room and interview room. And when a game ends, you have about 10 20 minutes, 20 tops. It's supposed to be a 10 minute cooling off period from the time the game ends to get down to the interview room. In most places, most buildings we go to, it's easy. You you write your last tweet or part of your story or send what you're sending, you walk over to the elevator. The elevator opens and you get in and you go all the way down to the bottom and you go to wherever you're going. Sometimes it's a little faster than that. Sometimes you have to take the steps, but okay. In New Orleans, it is like, it is a race against time through so many, it's like the combine or like, you know, when they do the, um, you, you know, you know, when you, what, what's the one where they jump over the water and, and in the Olympics and they, and they go like. Steeplechase. Steeplechase. It's like it's like an advanced <laughs> steeplechase at times. You, the elevators are too small and do not basically work to get you down. So uh, you have to take some form of stairs, but there's no like direct route 
of stairs that you can take. So there's like multiple stairs you have to go through in different ways you have to go. You have to have a guide. Someone from New Orleans PR basically has to be a part of it. So we had a group. Now, Kat Terrell, our good friend, friend of the program who worked at The Athletic, she's with ESPN now, uh, It covers the Saints. She was there. I said, Kat, you are not leaving. I'm with you. Like, you have done this before. I'm with you. We're going together. And everybody said this as well. So we had about eight people. When the game ended, we're we're cat is our guide, and we are gonna take our journey to try to get down there in time. So this basically is like about an eight-act play that I'm about to unfold here for you. <laughs> so it's myself, Cat, uh Ben Baby from ESPN, uh, Brody Miller, who you heard from last week, uh James Rapine uh from Locked On, and we have uh, our, th- our I think our three Cleveland.com writers were were all there with us too. And New Orleans PR had somebody in our mix as well. And it and as soon as we're, we're ready to go, you're sprinting. So it starts. We're running, we're running through the press box itself and trying to figure out which one of the couple of ways to go out of the press box we're gonna go. That's kind of a direct sprint. Okay, getting your getting your wind going. We're starting. And it turns out we have to go down into the crowd first. We can't go any of the back stairways for whatever we were trying to find. We got to go out. We go out. It is, of course, packed. There are people all in the odds. We've got to get all the way down this first level into a tunnel to get out onto the concourse, turn around and go back on the concourse. We're trying to get through people, push around people, but everyone's going slow. They're very drunk. It's New Orleans. The game has just (laughs) ended. And at one point, there was like a big nacho tray with like nacho cheese. I think that someone almost stepped in. It got tossed. So we go and we finally make it around and we're into the concourse, okay? So... At this point, we realize we've lost people. Like the three, I think Cleveland, the Cleveland.comers, just we lost some good man, good men in this one. You know, like it's just there, we're gone. Just they got, we got to leave them. They, they we, we got to keep going. So we're, everyone is sprinting across the concourse. There's people everywhere, and we are going against the grain. So through all these people, and we end up back once we get to the spot we want to. We're all still together, but I can. A cat is really far ahead. She's in heels. Like she is rocking this thing in heels the whole time and and running. And then it gets into a long hallway type of thing where everyone, there's like three or four different waves of people. I mean, shoulder to shoulder across almost that are all coming the other way against us against the grain. Well, at one point, one of them sees Ben, Ben Baby, Ben Baby. People are yelling about Ben Baby. And, the, and then they're deciding to push back like, so there was a, some fans that either it was a Saints fan who was angry. There was even a Bengals fan that threw a shoulder and almost knocked Ben over. And then I got hit with an elbow right to the chest. Like the, some Saints fan in a Camara jersey did not, they did not like us going against the grain and we were going very fast. And I think they were startled. And so he just absolutely hit me with an elbow to the chest. I survive. I, I managed to get down. So now we're back into going up some more steps or down some steps. Uh, my notebook hits uh it hits like a, a railing comes out of my hand flies out where is it i don't know but cat's running do i leave the notebook do i try to go back and get the notebook some nice man uh in a Bengals jersey picks it up hands it to me go and so i grab it <laughs> and i'm now and i catch i've managed to weave through people and i catch back up we're still going at this point we are now back i think we're in some 
form of kitchen at this point. I don't know where exactly we are. <laughs> and so we then we take we take a we go around a corner and then we enter the trash room. It is a room that is about, I don't know, 12 by 12, and it is full. The whole thing is covered in trash bags. Like everywhere you look, you can't walk hardly at all. So Cat just goes. She doesn't even care that it's trash. She's just like going through it like you're trying to go through one of those ball pits when you're a kid, you know, like doesn't even <laughs> care, except it's trash. She goes through the trash first, gets to this door on the other side because this this is the door. We have no choice. There is no turning back. This is the door we have to get in. We're not going back out there. If we're going through trash, we're going through trash. Ben comes next. He took a bag and just heaves the bag out of the way uh, of the door so it will start to actually fully open. And we all crawl, basically, kind of go through the trash room. We survive the trash room. Now we're in, the st- we're in a stairwell. So now it's time. To one, figure out what the hell was that room that we just came through. <laughs> Two, it's time to go down these million steps. Like I have never, it just kept going. We kept going in circles down and down and down. Cat is in heels. She goes down at about the eighth flight. Like she just, she twists her ankle, falls to the ground. Ben half catches her. And we, she picks her back up. She says, I'm okay. I'm going to keep going. So she then uh, she has a second ankle turn where she kind of half falls. And we're like, oh, this is not good. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? And she, but she, she grinds it out. We finally, after all of this, we end up at the bottom level. We're now finally to the floor of the Superdome. And we stop to take a breath. And we're all just, <sighs> and we're at this black curtain. You know, the black curtains that will separate you from where you are with the field. And we're like, okay, where's the visitors? What are, we got to find the visitors. All of a sudden, through, come running through the black curtain, Trags, Mike Petralia <laughs> was on the field and he goes, the locker room's this way. And he starts running. He just came out of nowhere. And so we go and we are now, we're sprinting. Now we're sprinting through the ground level concourse and we're trying, there's trucks everywhere and every, it's, it's typical post-game madness. And we're weaving through all of these people trying to find it. We finally get to, we see it, interview visitors, interview room. We get to the visitors interview room and we all bust into the room and we're breathing heavy. It is the smallest visitors interview room I've ever seen in my life. And there are a million media members in here. And the, 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 the Superdome known for how cold they keep it. Everyone is in jackets and like gloves almost. I mean, you have to, you, we all day we were warm. You know what this room was, Jay? Baking it, hot. A sauna. It was so hot. And so now we're just all trying to adjust to the temperature. We're laughing. And someone's like, finally said, what was that room of trash? Like, we're just trying to take it all in. Zach Taylor comes in. We actually made it just in time before Zach Taylor came and took the podium. At one point, we were all trying to ask questions that we couldn't even get the words out of our mouths. So the... To play at the end. What did you, you know, I mean, it really felt like that, but that was our journey all the way down from the press box to make it just in the nick of time. And then people, many didn't. Like people, I saw the Cleveland guys later and then it was like, what? 
when, where did we lose you? I go, I don't know. Very <laughs> early, very early. I, I don't know how anybody made it down. Many didn't, but it was, uh, that is the story of our journey to try to make it down for the post game press conference, the Superdome, man. It's a special, it's a special place to cover a game. Well, first of all, Kat's covered how many games there? I, she's got to know better than to wear heels. That makes no sense. I told she said she had her sneaks in. She did, and she was going to bring them, but she didn't. And then which I, I said, you you got to have like post game sneaks ready yeah. to go just for the run, even if you're carrying your heels the rest of the way. But creditor, I haven't gotten a full update. We'll have to get a full update on how her ankle's doing. I imagine there might have been some swelling the next day. Yeah, and for I mean. I wasn't there. I I covered the game from home and I was, I had no idea what you guys were going through. And I was beside my, I was like, why they tweeted out the link to Zach's post game press conference, but it never came on. It finally came on for the very last question. I was, why in the world are they not airing this? And that must've been the same thing. The Bengals.com people must've been waiting through trash and going through everything you guys were to get down. There was just ridiculous that a, an NFL team, I know it's an old place, but they've they've got to find ways to to make that more easier access for the media to get down there. Uh, I mean, they haven't never going to happen. They haven't had a Super Bowl in a long time, despite yeah. it being the greatest place to hold a Super Bowl. Um, you know, but that's a whole other story uh, for another day. <laughs> uh, this story was the one that I had today, uh, and I'm just, I'm just happy that I had the honor to to spill it to the general public. I'm just proud of everybody. That was on board. We all played our part. We all had our moments, uh, and I'm just I'm just happy to say I was a part of it. Shout out to Cat and Ben and Brody and James and and even those strong ones from Cleveland that we left behind. Uh, <laughs> that 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 uh, you know fell to the to the ground out there those days. It was a fun it was a fun one, and uh, I'm happy we have the story for it. I don't want to do it again. Uh, all right. On that note, let's get to wrapping this thing up. Some questions here. Uh, that we have that I wanted to get through. I want to point out, this isn't a question, it's a comment, but hey, if you're going to say something nice here, I'm going to appreciate it. Uh, from K99KRIG, Paul, you are a missed extra point in week one away from a perfect schedule prediction so far. Aha. Mm. Thank you for, for acknowledging that. I know. So far, so good. We've been right on right on point. The Bengals are kind of in a good place. In, in my predictions, I had them win in 11 games. I also had them losing at Pittsburgh before I knew how bad they were actually going to be this year. So really, right on pace to probably win 11 games might be where uh, they still are at this point. Uh, Iron Man XRP, thoughts about slow starts causing our defense to, one, be on the field more, clocking way more reps than necessary, and opening up our guys for more injuries. Um, What do you – I mean, I I don't – the so, there have some of these slow starts have included the defense. Obviously, we know the second halves have been so good for the mm-hmm. Bengals between their defense and their offense, really finding themselves. Um, I think some of the slow starts for the defense can be part of that, but I, I don't. I don't think it's exhaustion because we are seeing how well they're playing at the end of games. Yeah, that's just exactly it. It's 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 not taking a toll in that regard, but it could be. I mean, you hear Zach talk about it all the time about getting in a rhythm. If 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 the opponent is having all these three and outs and turning it back over, it's 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 a lot easier for the opposing offense to get into a rhythm, and I think that can kind of saddle the the Bengals defense. But it, there's no fatigue issue there. You, maybe those final drives and the three losses might have played a role in that because it was um, Cooper Rush doing it to him and Mitch Trubisky. 
But yeah, I don't I don't think that that's a worn out defense at the end of games. It's just a matter of sometimes you just can't hold up and keep a team off the scoreboard every single snap, every single series in the second half. Um. Let's go. Next question here from Tina Hale. My question is, do you believe that this game was Joe Burrow calling the plays over Zach Taylor? And and do you believe the wins we have is because Joe is calling his own plays over Zach Taylor? No. Joe is not no. calling his own plays over Zach. I mean, Joe is has full right. They give him full right to check out of any plays. I mean, the plays they give them have two or three options to them. One thing that was mentioned was that they did call a lot more runs, but Joe mm. was seeing the obvious soft zones that they were able to throw underneath and get more out and checked out of a lot of those to get to the runs. But that's a part. Those are baked into. Those are RPOs partially. Those are baked into play calls, things like that. So this was this was no different. This was them all having a game plan and executing it and, uh, and really being more efficient on the early downs. Certainly, uh, certainly was part of it. Um, let's see from Eric Evan McPherson appreciation post lost in the last stand of the D and breakout shooter casually booted a 52 yard field goal that forced the Saints O to be aggressive to score at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a few moments of oh, what was that this year? And you've wondered a couple of times about some snaps, but when push comes to shove, they still have the dude who is uh, money from 50 plus. And that showed up. And yeah, it is under, I don't know if anybody's hardly discussed it. It's almost, that's just it. It's almost assumed that he's going to go out there and yeah, 52 right down the gut. No problem. Seven straight from plus 50 yards. It's just unreal how consistent he is. You look at some of his misses and they've been the shorter ones, the extra point, obviously with the bad snap. It's, you you do, you take him for granted at this point. Um, and that that was that was a gotta have it one because that was that like I said earlier that extended the game it's it's a it's a much different game if they don't trim that lead there. Okay, um, I said I was going to find a place for this, and this is where I'm finding a place uh, for this. So Tom Palacero, uh had a tweet, and it was about how close so many of these games have been this year. The average margin of victory is been incredible. It's at eight point nine. Uh, which is the lowest that they've seen um, in ages. Uh, I'm going to read the tweet here for you just so you can have it officially from Tom. Uh, One stat, NFL owners were here at today's fall meetings. Average margin of victory this season is 8.9 points on pace to shatter the Super Bowl era record of 10.2. Only other year below 10 was 1932 when the Bears opened with three straight scoreless ties and won the title. Now, The concept of talking about the 1932 Bears is not something that I could let go easily. (laughs) I had to go further. The 1932 Bears finished 7-1-6. They did open their season with three straight scoreless ties. Their opponents were the Green Bay Packers, the Staten Island Stapletons. We love... We love defunct football. There are no Los Angeles Dons, but yeah. the Staten Island Stapletons, I think, would be close to Luana Rumo's heart, Staten yeah. Island native. Uh, the Chicago Cardinals. You want to know what happened in game four, Jay, of their season? They lost two to nothing to the Packers <laughs> in game four. <laughs> Play for the safety. <laughs> safety what uh what just a fun just a fun nugget i wanted to sneak in here somewhere because we love talking about uh teams from the 30s and 40s and just the ridiculousness that was happening before you know that there was discoveries on how to play this game and the forward pass and such 
even though that 8.9 is on pace to be a record, it still seems high when you think about what what so many of these games look like. And I get it. You're always going to have a game or two that is the the outlier and it's a blowout that kind of inflates that number. But it just feels high to me when you watch these games. It seems like everyone is between three and seven and 8.9 just feels like it, it. It doesn't have that punch that you would think a stat like that closest ever would have. And I want people to think about this when you think about the Bengals' uh, perspective through this season. And that is, you know, most teams have a distribution of games where, what, like 12 of them, uh, you know, are close within a score, right? And then four are probably four to six, depending on how bad they are. Most teams, some some kind of blowout. And are you on, are you getting blown out? Are you not getting blown out on those other games? You know, how many of those, the Bengals aren't, don't get blown out. Like the last time this happened was the Chargers game, and that was obviously by virtue of some fumbles and stuff last year. We're talking about almost you're getting closer and closer to a full season where they're just not getting blown out. They're winning by a bunch, or they're in these super close games. Like that's good. These super close games have a way of working themselves out. They end up evening out, and you just gotta be if you're having more that you're winning easily. Uh, you end up what? 11 wins, 12 wins, mm-hmm. 10 wins. That's that's what the league is. This 8.9 margin of victory, every game close, this is what the league is. This is what it looks like every week. These games are close. Win as many of those as you can. And then when you do have a chance where games aren't close, be on top of those. And I think it's important to keep that perspective when you think about what the Bengals' season structure has looked like to this point, that three and three. Two blowout wins, four close games. You know, that's... That that's a good good way to be, even though you'd rather not be three and three. And even those wins don't feel like blowout wins. The, the, the Jets game and the Dolphins game were both a lot closer than what that final score would indicate. Yeah, but found a way to get some space mm-hmm. at the end. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, wrap him up the Bengals growler bet from last week, which was Taysom Hill uh, total yards between returns, res- passing, receiving, rushing. Bengals did a good job containing Taysom Hill, kind of like we said that they would. He ended up with fifty five yards in the game. Jay, what did what was your guess? Uh, I went 77. You went 42. Yes. Win for me, finally. Yes. I needed one of those. So I was closer. It's kind of right. still middle-ish between where we thought, which I knew Mm -hmm. was going to be trouble. Uh, And it was. uh, Shout out to Trevor Messicar who filed Sunday at noon to get in just a little bit under the wire. He must, must a late listen to the podcast, snuck it in, 55. And... Paul Grega on Twitter, who was one of the first ones to, to fire it away. So at the beginning and the end, they got us, Jay. All, Paul Grega also had 55. Shout out to Craig Turner, 56. So close. Margaret oh, yeah. Bingham, 53. So close. So close. But not quite there. So uh, Trevor Mescar, Paul Grega, you are winners. Next time we have a live event at 50 West, come on down or let us know. Give us your names or send a rep, and uh, we will hook you up with some delicious 50 West beer, which... Home to Home is out now, or Home Sweet Home, excuse me, is out now. So make sure you're checking that out. All right. That'll wrap us up, Jay. What an eventful end of the podcast. I'm out of breath. That's a great start to your birthday. Talk. I apologize to talking way too much. Spend my birthday the way I spend most of it, just talking yeah. too much. Just talking <laughs> too much. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will, uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday with the preview. Uh, and could, Jay, you've got your interview set up with Atlanta, correct? Yes, we'll be doing that shortly here with Josh Kendall, and uh, that should be up later today. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to him. It's it's a Falcons were 
four and a half win total to start the year. They're already at three and three. This is this is not the team everyone thought they were going to be. Yeah, great. It'd be great to uh, chat with Josh. So uh, we'll have all that coming your way the rest of the week. The week. Thanks for everybody for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Everybody.